My name is Jeremy Devins, and this is the Yoga Teacher Training Podcast. And today's episode is all about Sanskrit, the language we use when we talk about yoga, the origin texts and language of yoga. So I'll be talking about some common mistakes that a lot of new teachers make, very common mistakes. And should you teach Sanskrit in class when you're teaching pose names? Does it, is it necessary? Is it alienating? Is it religious? Uh, I'll talk about all that today in the Yoga Teacher Training Podcast. Before we start, the next Quiet Mind Yoga Teacher Training is now open for enrollment. So I've been planning on doing the next one in March, but I've had some great feedback and interest to do one in January. So I'll be doing one in January and March. You can sign up right now at quietmind.yoga/ytt. And if you want more information, you can sign up for the free info session that's coming up in a couple weeks. Probably be doing more leading up to it as well. And if you can't be there live, you can sign up and I'll send you the recording so you can uh, see the walkthrough of the training and hear some questions. If you have questions you want answered, you can email me, jeremy at quietmind.yoga, or send me a message on Instagram at jeremy.quietmind or sign up to join this live event. It's gonna be super fun. I keep the classes small and have more one-on-one -on -one attention throughout the training. So it's very in-depth, 200-hour program, all online, and is a mixed media experience, so not just all on Zoom. There's some assignments to do exercises on your own and watch videos at home, do exercise, listen to audio. And one of the things I include in the training is a sort of language learning tool where I say the English and the Sanskrit and you repeat after me. So you can practice learning Sanskrit language. So that's just one of the many, many things included in the program. It's very thorough in depth, 10 core competencies of yoga. You can learn all about it at quietmind.yoga/ytt. And I'd love to have you there if you're thinking about it. Just send me a message, happy to answer any questions and see if it's right for you. So first of all, when we talk about Sanskrit, we want to make sure we're pronouncing things properly. So is it Sanskrit or Sanskrit? People, you, might hear, you might hear people sometimes say like Sanskrit. Uh, well, you Google can be your friend on these things and you can look up how to pronounce it there. Uh, but the most common pronunciation is Sanskrit. And of course, in the Sanskrit language, if you look it up, there's all sorts of little marks around the letters and the phrases telling you how to pronounce things. It's very specific. So if you're supposed to use more of a back of your throat kind of sound, oftentimes if you see an H after a consonant, uh, like dhanurasana, like bow pose, a DH sound, that H is actually like a huh, the back of the throat, which is uh, very uncommon, of course, in the English language, and even uh, seems sort of uh, inappropriate or just like weird to do that. So I don't encourage that when you're actually using Sanskrit in a class if you choose to. So the first thing to really know though is how to pronounce the words so Sanskrit and then asana. And I'm still surprised how often I'll have, have students who come from other teacher trainings and they still pronounce it asana. And it doesn't help that there's that productivity app, Asana. That's how they pronounce it, and they spell it the same, but they pronounce it Asana. So you may have seen that app. Uh, it's a to-do manager a business uh, productivity app. I actually use it in my business, uh, but we, we call it Asana. We don't call it Asana because that's how you pronounce it. It's a Sanskrit word. So Asana app. Uh, so if we're going to say it, it's Asana. And then any pose name, 
Now we say is that word plus the word asana. So you've probably noticed this, right? I said dhanurasana is the asana is at the end because it's pose, it's a pose. And danyur means bow or bow shaped or curved or bent. So danyur asana is bow pose. And there's uh, shavasana. Shava means corpse, corpse pose. Sukha and asana makes sukhasana, easy pose. All right, so you get the idea. It's every pose name is a, a word or an animal or some sort of phrase or something that's relevant to the pose, and then the word asana at the end. So there's samastitihi is an exception to this. There are some exceptions. Samastitihi means equal standing. So sama and stitihi. So every pose is just sort of broken down of what it's saying. And, and then we add things like ekapada kundinyasana. So kundinya is a sage, asana is the pose. So kundinyasana. But then we add the eka, it's one, and pada is foot. So one foot, pose named after the sage kundinya. So ekapada kundinyasana. All right, so then you start to break it down and you see the word eka and pada a lot in the pose names, like pada hastasana. So pada is, again, the foot. Hasta is the hand, and asana is the pose. So hand to foot pose, pada hastasana. So you see how everything kind of breaks down like this. And I recommend, just like I'm doing here, when you're teaching a class, it's a class where students coming to classes, where teachers teaching classes, so there's an education component here, and we're educators as teachers. So we want to make it easy to learn. And I actually have a teacher and, uh, in the past who said something like, you know, you should know this by now, so I'm not going to repeat this thing. He wasn't talking about Sanskrit, but a similar kind of idea. And I thought that was so off-putting and so antithetical to what we're doing as teachers, right? It's like, you should know, so I'm not going to teach you anymore. Uh, you should already know this. I think that is an insult to students. And really, repetition is the mother of skill. So reinforcing, rep repeating, having repetition in your class is one of the best ways for people to learn things. If I just said it one time, if I just said, all right, everyone, Utkatasana, you know, maybe half of the class would know what that pose is. The other half would look around like, oh, what is that? I'm not sure. I think it's this one. And they're just now they're taken out of their experience and the flow of the class, and they've got to look around and figure out uh, what am I doing? And okay, so now I'm looking at the other person. And now you've taken them out of their own embodied experience into this sort of observer looking around, checking everyone else, not sure what I'm doing, uncomfortable, is this for me? Who, <laughs> you know, all these questions come up. And it takes them out of their own experience. And it's, of course, important to have self-inquiry and self-awareness and this observer mindset of the self. But we don't want the attention to be scattered outward of trying to figure out, like, what am I supposed to be doing here? And the teacher, a good teacher, is supposed to, I think, in my opinion, uh, guide the students in a way that they don't need to think too much. And they don't need to try to figure things out because it's all laid out for them and explained to them what this means. You know, it's like if I were to learn any new skill, you know, I would want to have repetition. I would want to be reminded over and over again, okay, this means that. When I, so this is what we're going to do. 
And then if you have a class that's all very experienced students and you've known them for years and they're regulars, of course it's different. Then, you know, just teach, you could teach just Sanskrit. And usually what I'll do to lead up to this in a class is start with teaching both English and Sanskrit and then build up to maybe less English and repeating that same sequence. So for repeating sun salutations, first time I might say inhale, urdva hastasana, arms overhead. So I just said the Sanskrit and the English uh, action of what that is. And exhale, forward fold, uttanasana. So I said the English and the Sanskrit. Now, after doing that two or three times, I might drop the English part because they have already embodied the movement, but now they uh, can drop the English because they know what the movement is, so they can just learn the Sanskrit. So inhale, urdva hastasana. Whereas now they, they already know what the pattern is because they've done it several times, but now they're adding this other word to it. And I've already said the word multiple times when they've done the movement, but now it's linking them even more. So when they raise their arms overhead, they're not just thinking arms overhead, they're also thinking Urdva Hastasana or whatever that person said. So they might not have the exact pronunciation yet, but they know it's a pose name and it starts to ring a bell and it just takes repetition. And that's the only way I think I was able to learn this up is just hearing it over and over again from great teachers and then thinking it in my own practice and then it just starts to stick after a while. And you sing, you uh, link the, the movement and the sound and the phrase. So always say the English and Sanskrit. I think that's very important as a teacher, but you can wean off it over time. Then there's the transliteration. When you're reading Sanskrit, oftentimes what you're reading is a transliteration. So it's sort of written how it sounds rather than writing out like how you would actually write it out in a direct translation. For example, the word drishti would be D-R-S-T-I with some little marks around the letters to help you know how to pronounce it. But most of the time what you'll find is the transliteration and that's telling us how to pronounce it based on how you'd actually hear it in English. So shavasana, or is it savasana? So the shavasana is more of the transliteration, and you'll hear both. And even when I was in India, I would hear people add or drop H's around S's all the time. So our driver was isvar or ishvar, depending on what the person felt like saying. So the same person would say it differently in different situations. So uh, it's like you can just add or drop the H's and it seems very loose as, as a lot of things in India and the Western mindset is very like, no, it's gotta be linear and structured. And everything, in my experience of India, like even the traffic, right? There's, there's lines on the road, but nobody follows those. So you just get in where you can fit in and you try not to stop your car essentially and you keep going. And everything in India is very much like that from my experience. And I could be wrong. And maybe there's other parts of India I didn't experience. You know, I was just in around New Delhi and uh, some slums where I volunteered around there. Uh, but everyone I interacted with would add or drop H's and tell different stories, you know, ask different stories about different things and the culture and history and ask, you know, multiple people like about the uh, holy festival that I was there during. 
And what's the story of Holy? I love, you know, I love hearing the stories. And everyone had a very different story, or at least slightly different. And I think it's just part of the culture of just kind of going with the flow of things and being present. It's a more feminine energy as opposed to the Western mindset. It's much more masculine and structured and linear. So I appreciate that. And uh, as we're trying to be teachers and clearly instruct things, though, I think it's important to be consistent. So I just say Shavasana and not Savasana. But you find what works for you. And I, I prefer to just be consistent on the same thing and repeat that many times to make it easier to remember and learn. And the last thing I'll add for this little mini one-on-one lesson on Sanskrit is the flick of the tongue on the R's, like the mantra Ram, R-A-M, becomes Ram. So it's a little flick of the tongue like L, like in English L, but Ra, Ra, Ra. So Ram and Drishti becomes Drishti. Drishti, right? You have that little flick of the R there. The word chakra becomes chakra, right? So that R, the flick of the tongue. And I don't always do that as a teacher because, again, it's not necessary exactly. I mean, we kind of know what we're talking about without the flick of the tongue. It kind of makes it maybe feel a little more accessible in the modern Western world. You're not adding these... Uh, flares to the language, but I think you definitely can. And from a Sanskrit perspective, you know, this isn't just random stuff. At least you know, my teachers would say, and some of the old texts would say, that Sanskrit is not just random sounds made up for no reason, but when we're using these sounds, we're touching different parts of the palate that stimulate different energies in the body. So this is where we get into the very esoteric concepts of what this language really is. And every sound pattern is like sending an intention, a vibration into the universe. And when we chant the mantras, like Shri Ram, Jai Ram, right? This, these are not just random sounds, and these names are not just random names, but it's an energetic effect that we're creating on our psyche and our spirit and our expression just by like using mudras for the hands, like using asana for the body, by using flicks and movements of the tongue and the mouth and sound and vibration moving through the throat and the vocal cords. So that is an instrument into itself, just in the neck up. And that really comes from the diaphragm. So it's the whole body thing. But the way we move our tongue, the way we make sounds, can express energy and create our reality. So, of course, in the Bible, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning of the Hindu creation is the sound Om. Aum. Right? That sound from the back of the throat to the middle of the palate to the tip of the lips, the whole gamut, the range of expression through the mouth. And that's Aum, the sound of creation. And when we chant that, we connect to creation, to source. And when we use our words intentionally, we create a different reality than if we use our words unintentionally. And we're repeating just things we've heard, recreating traumas and dramas from our past and our conditioning, saying things because we just heard it growing up. Maybe you heard things like money doesn't grow on trees. 
Yeah, all these sort of negative things, pessimistic things that maybe you've ingrained in yourself and you start saying them yourself and it changes your reality versus, you know, like I am pure positive source energy. I have infinite creative potential. Of course, there's realistic limitations of that. I'm not going to play in the NBA in my lifetime, uh, but I do get to choose how I respond to life and I get to choose where I put my energy and attention. And chanting mantras is choosing to put our energy and attention on things that are more in alignment with source and our true self. I listened to the Gayatri mantra every morning recently for the past few months and other mantras throughout the day. And it changes your mindset, it changes the way you think, the way you choose to speak. And when we use the Sanskrit language, there's this intention behind every flick of the tongue, every huh sound, even if it's a little awkward for the U.S., Dhanurasana, uh, or even the flick of the tongue, Dhanurasana, right? So you have all this sort of extra stuff that's, so the English language is kind of extra, but from the Sanskrit perspective, it's very intentional, and it's yoga for the tongue and the mouth, essentially, and the voice. So Sanskrit is powerful, and that's our mini little lesson on why it's important and if you want to learn more about it, in the teacher training, I give you the guided audio lessons. You can repeat along with all the most common yoga postures, how to pronounce it, and how to use it within the context of teaching and practicing. It can be very powerful, and I hope you enjoyed this lesson. If you want to learn more and work with me, go to quietmind.yoga YTT and check out the free info session for the upcoming Quiet Mind Yoga teacher training in 2021 all online, 200-hour program. Hope you can join us, or at least check it out. If you have any questions, email me at jeremy.quietmind on Instagram or jeremy at quietmind.yoga via email. Hope you have a great week and look forward to sharing more with you soon on the Yoga Teacher Training Podcast.